Well, good morning. This morning we find ourselves once again approaching one of the glorious peaks of the mountain range of Scripture. In this little yet amazing little letter to the Ephesians, we find ourselves looking once again with the great apostle, the Apostle Paul, at one of, some have said, the most majestic peak in all of Scripture. You'll remember we've seen the magnificent trust of the great doctrines of the sovereignty of God and the amazing truth of salvation, the wonders of uniting Jews and Gentiles, and the great and grand doctrine of grace and so far. We've seen this mighty apostle pray in chapter 1, and now we come to yet another prayer in, in chapter 3. And before we go to um, this exposition, I'd like to say a couple of things. Uh, first, there is no way we can explore the depths of what Paul is praying for for these Ephesian saints. Not in our time together and not even in a sermon series. Second, in all my years of walking with the Lord and all the great opportunity and the honor that I have had to share His Word and the Gospel with others, I just want to say that I personally have been more encouraged by this little study in Ephesians than ever. And I have been most challenged. As a matter of fact, I think I have been challenged in ways over the last several weeks that I haven't been challenged for in a long time. So this morning, we approach this text, and I do so, and I'm being, I guess, completely transparent. I'm just totally inadequate. And I feel this inadequacy. But I'm convinced with my entire being that what we're about to look at is possible. It's not only possible, but it's something that we should obtain. I've seen glimpses of this, but yet I want more. And what we're going to look at this morning is the core of the Christian life. It's what we should focus on. It, if we would take with all seriousness this morning, if we all would just once again look at those words that Brian read for us in the scripture reading, I believe that today, and, and I'm, I know this may sound like I'm just trying to preach or give you a rah-rah, but I, I, I'm not. What I believe this morning is for the, those of us gathered here on 800 North, no matter our age and no matter our time with Christ, that this morning, if we truly approach these words with all seriousness, it could have an indescribable effect on our walk with Christ. There's one more thing I want to say that, that when I left the house, I thought of. Do not think that these words are for some kind of superhero Christian. This is ordinary Christian living. That's what Paul's talking about. But yet, it, it, it's not what ordinary Christians live in today's world. I believe it's so so far from where many of us, and from time to time, I'm just trying to be honest, from where I've myself found myself living. So, therefore, this morning, let's look together 
at the third chapter of Ephesians, concentrating on verses 14 through 20. Verses 14 through 20 of the third chapter of Ephesians. My message is really broken down to four that's. T-H-A-T. Four that's that we find in our text. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And also in verse 7, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And finally in verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of of God. As we begin, we look at verse 14 and we see that he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This prayer is here because God the Holy Spirit means and deemed it necessary for us. It's something that God the Holy Spirit preserved for all saints, you and I, to be reading 2,000 years approximately after it was written. It's here because there's something significant that God wants to communicate to those of us who are following Christ. You may remember, beloved, that the Bible is the Word of God, and 2 Timothy 3 says that it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for our teaching and reproof and correction and training, so we may be fully equipped. And that's my prayer this morning, is that it will do those things. One other item worth mentioning here is Paul's emphasis on prayer. Not just alone, but Paul has a two-pronged approach to his ministry. It seems like Paul is always connecting the preaching or the proclamation of the Word of God with prayer or praying the Word of God. These are two very distinct channels for the maturing of our lives. The, transfer, the transference of information, in other words, the proclamation of truth, the, the foretelling of truth to us so we can understand it is critical and vital and necessary. We've talked over and over that faith comes by hearing, and I'm hoping we've hammered that nail over and over the past few weeks. But there's something else. There's praying. It seems that you can't have one without the other. Preaching needs prayer. And prayer grows and deepens with preaching. I think we need to constantly revisit the importance of preaching and praying. Preaching and praying. Preaching and praying. My mind goes back, and I know that some of you are old enough to go back to a time in, in church life where those things were vital and they were important and they were, they, they were sort of revered. And, and we had extended meetings of preaching. We were called, they were called revivals. It wasn't just a one-week revival. Larry, do you remember two-week revivals? Oh, yeah, two-week revivals. And in those two-week revivals, something was happening. There was preaching, no doubt. And people were hungry to hear the Word of God. But I think that hunger came from the praying that happened in those days. I'm not here to tell us that we're doing it wrong. I'm here to saying that maybe there's power we're missing in our life because we are missing something that the Scripture so clearly outlines for us. The great British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes, was, was described that he would walk people through the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church, which used to be the New Park Street Church, 
Spurgeon would take them in this church tour, if you will. It was a mega church of his day. He would take them to the basement of the church. And that basement of the church was the prayer room. And it would be, as we are told by historians of that time, that people were almost always in the basement of that church on their knees interceding for their church. And Spurgeon said on numerous times, in numerous occasions, here is the powerhouse of the church. Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for the proclamation, no matter who is in the pulpit? This morning, do you need fuel for such a power of living? I just, I just wonder, is anybody feeling like they're anemic spiritually? Or that they're, they just don't have the mojo they used to have spiritually? Well, I believe our text this morning will help us. I, I got thinking, and I'm, I'm, I'm a really... I know I have the craziest analogies or stupid illustrations, but I got thinking about what it is, and, and it's, my mind seems to always go to food. And I, I think that we, are, we tend to, to be ramen noodle or mac and cheese Christians. And we're just living on ramen noodles when there's a whole banquet table and a whole feast that's before us that God has, and we just sort of miss it. So, Paul says he bows his knee. He's communicating something. He's saying, I'm not half, half hazardly or irreverently praying. He's saying, I'm approaching God for a reason. I'm bowing my knee. That, that's more than just posture, although I think posture is important. There's many ways that we can pray. We can stand. We can sit. We can kneel. We can lie face down. We can bend our knee. But there's being more being suggested here than just posture. And it's more than just attitude. It's an indication as how he's approaching God. He's doing so with both a posture and an attitude of worship and adoration and praise. Paul says he's coming to God in reverence. The, the state of his heart is coming through. He's not coming to God ghibli or, or, or casually or flippantly. No, he's approaching God as God. Now, I think we can talk to God anytime, in any way. I don't think we have to have a formality, but I wonder sometimes if we aren't reverently going to God. Do we understand who it is that we're talking to? And so I think Paul very clearly says that he's bowing his knee because he's trying to indicate something. He's approaching the Father. Notice what he's saying. God is the Father. Look at verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, he spent the first couple of chapters telling them that there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's, there's no difference in the church. The church is one family. This is a message to a family. And we this morning... we. I use, I try to intentionally use the word brother or sister because we are brothers and sisters for those of us who call Jesus Christ our Savior. We are a family this morning. There's a bond that's deeper, and I, I, I know I've gotten trouble from time to time when I say this, but do you realize 
that if you're a believer this morning and your faith is in Jesus Christ and you're saved and you're born again, that your bond with another believer is stronger than even the family bonds on earth that you have. It's an eternal bond. And, and we know how, much, how important our earthly families are, but just think about how important our heavenly family is. So Paul is approaching this prayer as a family. Now let me ask you this question. I hope to change your prayer life today, and I'll be honest with you. I hope that your way you pray is different when you leave here. But I know that, humanly speaking, when I have an immediate family need, and specifically in my immediate family, I approach that prayer concern a little differently than I do about someone I may or may not know. Anybody else? And I think when Paul is saying, I bow my knee before our Father of whom the whole family He's saying that the people he's praying about, these Ephesian saints, are his immediate family. And so I, I've tried to encourage us from time to time when I've been honored to be in this pulpit is to ask you to turn around and, and look and do you see us as a family? Or are you just here because this is a place to go and this is an organization to belong to or just the place you happen to come to church? Well, I believe that we're a family here. I believe we're a family that meets each Lord's Day on 800 North. And, and this is not, you know, just like sometimes I didn't get to choose my brother or my sister. God put me in that family. And I think the church is a, a picture of that. And I think it's neat that, that we all just didn't decide to be together because we like one another or we all uh, have the same common interest or that's not the church. The church is a, a diverse group of people who, who have diverse thinking and they're, they're different than one another. But we're here. We're here because of the bond of Christ. And we're here as a family. And we should be the ones. I, I'm going to say something that may seem like it's, I shouldn't say it, but can I be honest with you? The priority of your... You, I, you, always I should be honest. I need to stop saying that. But anyway, let me make a point the priority of your praying is obviously your, your family, your immediate family. But this, this, is the, this is the circle you should be praying for. You should be praying more for the people gathering here on these Lord's Days than anybody else that you're praying for. This is, this is the model Paul's suggesting. He's praying for these people. He spent this, this, uh, this specific amount of time for. And so what is he praying for? Well, one, we see... He says that your strength, that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The very first thing Paul prays for is the strengthening of the inner man. Now, what is the inner man? The inner man is the internal part of you. It's the real you. It's the spirit. It's your soul. It's what is inside of you. Paul is saying that which makes you, you, I want to be strong. Now let me say this, only believers have an inner man. Yeah, I know that what pop psychology will tell us about our, our mind and all those kind of things, but you know, we just came from a, a few verses that Paul said you were dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, these people without Christ are dead. They have no inner man. But because we're born again, we have this inner man, this eternal spirit, this internal soul that's, that's born again. And Paul's saying he's praying for these. These are saved people. 
These are not people that he's evangelizing. These are not people who do not know Christ. These are born again people. You know, the world around us is concerned about the outer man. They have no knowledge of this inner man. And all of their emphasis is on the outer man. I could list you all the things. You can just look at advertisements. You can just go through all the things that people are bombarding you about or people are talking about. They're talking about all the things of the outer man. Well, Paul understood the outer man. Let me just, you jot down and go look at it at some other point in time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self or our outer man is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, Paul understood the outer man is wasting away. In all seriousness, I just had another birthday. And this birthday, is a, is, they're, they're kind of racking up. And, uh, and I don't feel the same way I did 25 years ago or 30 years ago. I understand this idea of the outer man is wasting away. That's because of the fall. That's the way it works. Our bodies will fail. All of us in this room, I'm not trying to be morbid or discouraging, I want to encourage you, but the truth is all of us will die. I, uh, I was running the other day and, and something that a great theologian said to me or said in our presence one time. I was running by a house where a person had passed away. We Christmas caroled to them last year. And I thought of what this dear brother said. There are people who we Christmas carol last year that won't be with us this year. And my mind began to think. We're going to die. But let me give you the good news. Here's the good news. And this is, this is extremely good news. The inner man isn't. And and the outward body is wasting away. But Paul's saying he wants the inner man strengthened. So he's praying for this strength. How is he praying? Look, it's here in the text. I got thinking about this in the preparation of this message. He's praying for the, based on the riches of his glory. Whose glory? God's glory. So he's praying on the riches of God. If you were, had access to my bank account, we could get everybody in here probably a white castle. But if you had access in all seriousness to Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates's bank account, what could we do with it? As a matter of fact, we probably would have trouble spending it. Well, Jake wouldn't have trouble spending it, but we, the rest of us, would. Now, just think about what he's praying. He's praying that the inner man would be strengthened based on all the riches of heaven. He's asking the Holy Spirit to strengthen the inner man, to get stronger every day. You, we, we get our physical bodies stronger, don't we? we, work, we there, there's a lot of things that will 
eat right and, and exercise. And if you get hurt, you go to physical therapy so you can get your outer man stronger, right? That's a normal part of life. But Paul is praying that there's something spiritual about strengthening your inner man. If you're born again, you just can't live as a baby in Christ. He wants you to grow stronger. And that's so when the, the troubles and the trials of this world come and approach us, we don't get carried away and get destroyed by anxiety and depression and frustration or even temptation. We don't render ourselves powerless because we can't fight the wiles of the devil. In other words, he's praying that they become spiritually strong in the inner man so they can continue to live and grow in this faith. That's the first thing he's praying for. The second thing that he's praying for is that they, Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. The heart is the very center of your personality. It includes your mind, the understanding, your will, your personality. It's the seat of your affections. One preacher said it's the citadel of the soul. I like that. It's the citadel of the soul. It's, in other words, it's the fortress, the stronghold of your soul. And so what Paul is asking is their very core be consumed with Christ. Now there's an unusual word. He says in this that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Let, let, me, let me tell you what he's really trying to say. And as a matter of fact, I looked at this in a couple of different ways and no one really gives a real clear English translation. He's really saying that Christ may reside in you, to settle down in you, to take up residence in you. He's at home in your hearts. In other words, Paul is praying that these dear saints will have Christ settled into their hearts through faith. There's, there's, there's the difference between becoming a believer and being born again as an infant and then maturing and having Christ dwell in your heart. Just merely believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is not Christianity. And just merely coming to faith in Christ is not the sum of Christianity. No one would ever bring home a baby. I look back at the very back of the room, great illustration. We don't, we don't bring home a baby and just put them on the shelf and say, huh, we got a baby. Okay, let's go by with our lives. Everything's great. They'll, they'll figure it out. Oh, we'll, we'll visit them. We'll tell everybody we're parents. It's something we can say. But we do that with our faith. Well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm saved. I, I, I believed in Jesus and I'm born again. And that may very well be true. But that's like just bringing home a baby and setting it on the shelf. Paul is saying that he, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying. The reason people grow in churches is because other people pray for them. That's the means of grace God's used. And he's praying that Christ will come to become the dominating factor in all of their lives. It's called maturing faith. He's saying, I want Christ to be everything to them. He's at the center of their lives. It's a place where Christ is welcome and comfortable in every room of their hearts. Let me ask you this question. If your spiritual life was a house with different rooms... There was an author who had a book like this. Would Jesus be comfortable in every room of your heart? Would he be comfortable in every place of your life? I'll give you a little secret. It's not in the notes, but I've been married to her for almost 33 years now. And Kim and I have done the same thing. And we're not the only ones, and she's not going to get mad at me. It's just a fact of life. We live in our house. 
But when we have guests over, there's a little activity that goes along. Does anybody else have guests over and you do some certain, I mean, you put certain things away. And now we have places that we don't want you in our house. And the English people, the British people will call them glory holes. Does anybody have a junk drawer where you have all the, so you, your other drawers are, are, but I'm making a point here. We don't want you in our garage, just FYI. It's where everything resides that we don't know what to do with. We're comfortable with you in our living room. We would be comfortable with you in our kitchen. We would be even comfortable in our guest bedroom. But there's places we don't want you when you visit. Just in case you visit, there's off limits. I need to ask you a question, though. I think Paul's praying the second prayer that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. He's saying, has Jesus resided in all of your life? Or do you have a room that not even Jesus is comfortable in? It's a room that you've locked him out. It's a place you don't want him to go. It's a worry that you want to hang on to. It's a sin that you don't want to confess. Or is he at the center of your life? I, I, I've, I've recently come to this conclusion that not conclusion. I've recently been thinking about, am I, would someone say I'm fanatical about Jesus? And, and I know the answer. The answer is no. I, I think this is what Paul is praying for for the Ephesians. Would the first thing someone say about you is, man, when you see, when you see Tim, he, all, he, all he wants to talk about and everything he wants to base all of his decisions on and all he, all he can be consumed with is, is Jesus. I think that that's at the heart of what Paul's praying for. Then we can say with Paul, the same great apostle that wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. It's this same Paul that wrote these words, not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. In hunger, in abundance, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How is that possible? It's possible by faith. This faith that he's talking about reveals it's a possibility for you and I. It's a faith that shows us that it's a reality we can know that goes beyond anything we can imagine. It's the word of God and it's in here because it's possible for you. This faith says it's possible for you. It's possible for me. It's possible for you and me to lay hold of. It's the way we can go on with God in confidence. You begin to pray to get this kind of life and something that God's working in my heart that I want to know Him better. I want Christ to reside in all the rooms of my life. I want Him to have complete residency. I got thinking, is Christ an awkward guest in my life? Or, he, or is He a comfortable settled resident in my life. Hudson Taylor, a missionary, used to pray this verse out of a song. And I would just encourage you, if you have a hymn, Marilyn played a few for our meditation. The hymns make great prayers. And I would just say, listen to what Hudson Taylor prayed, supposedly, every day of his life from when he was converted. It's from, O oh Jesus, make thyself to me. 
make thyself to me. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality, more present to faith's vision, keen than any outward object seen, more dear, more intimately nigh than even the sweetest earthly tie. Point three. It's right here. It's in verse 17. He prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, and width, breadth, length, height, and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The apostle comes to an illustration of both an arborist and an architect. He goes from horticulture to building. The first thing he says is to be rooted in love. When something's rooted, it conjures up maybe an image of a great tree. I should have called, I did not call, our resident expert in trees. But if I would have called Tom, I, Tom, I want to know if Google's right. I looked it up, and according to Google, the, the tree with the deepest root system and the best root system is an oak. Would you agree with that? Oak. They say oak, walnut, then the hickories. I would guess that's why people talk about the great oaks. I'm, I'm assuming they don't get blown over. They supposedly, according to the internet, have a deep tap root. I think the apostle is praying for these precious believers to be gigantic, strong trees planted and rooted in the soil so nothing would 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 blow them over or damage them. And what soil are they to be planted in or rooted in? It's in love, the love of Christ. Do you know the love of Christ? I'm convinced that sometimes I, and I don't want to make this sermon about me, but I'm just trying to be transparent. I, I'm, I'm convinced that sometimes I approach life in a way that I don't understand the vastness of the love of Christ. I approach the things of life in a different manner. The way we grow is for the Holy Spirit to fill us with the love of God, for Him to be the nutrient of our growth. He also compares it to being grounded in love. Think of a great building being built. I'm sure Chad would tell us that a home is only as good as the foundation laid. If you drive through a city and see a big building being built, it would, you would see them doing a lot of work with the ground. And then they would dig a big hole and they would be doing a lot of work in the hole. And it seemed like for weeks before anything appears before the ground, above the ground. And that's because they're grounding or laying a foundation. Jesus said that a wise man builds on the solid rock that when the winds come and the rains come, he can be solid. We're to be built on the foundation of God's love in Christ. The Bible says God is love. He is the foundation. Do you know the love of Christ which surpasses any knowledge? It's an experiential, experiential love. The words breadth and length and height and depth communicate vastness. It's four-dimensional. In other words, it's endless. Before I leave this point, I want to say this about this prayer. I think he's praying. Why would he want them to understand the love of God? 
When you understand that God loves you, is there anything else that you need to know? I think that's what Paul was writing in Romans. When you understand that God loves you and has saved you and you're saved from your sin and that if you do die, you're going to be with him forever and eternity is more glorious than you could ever imagine and you're going to have Jesus there with you forever because he loved you, then let me ask you, what is there to be afraid of? That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Why would you be afraid of dying? Dying is nothing more than a transition from this present world to the world with the Lord Jesus. If you believe that God loves you, and that because He loves you, that everything comes into your life for a purpose, and that this life is in preparation for all of eternity with that God, that even trials and tribulations, as they come, may be for your own benefit, and if you truly understand God loves you, wouldn't that change the way we would approach them? The inner man is strengthened so you can talk to the inner man, that inner man that resonating with the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you understand? The truth is, and I, again, I, I'm preaching to me. The truth is when something I think is catastrophic happens to me, what I'm really saying when I get upset or fearful, angry, pitch a fit, stomp around, whatever it is that I do, and I do all those things, I'm really just saying I don't trust God. It's really saying I don't understand the love of God. The Bible is clear. God is doing these things to make us more than conquerors. And the reason I think Paul is praying it is because he wants the people of Ephesus to understand how great this love is. And why is he praying them? He's praying them. He's praying for them because he loves them. Because you see, if I understand God loves me and I am unlovable, if I understand that God loves me in spite of my sin, that he first loved me, therefore I love him. And because he loves me, he's given me the capacity to love you and to love others. And that love is what compels me to bow my knee, to position the posture of my heart to pray for you. The most important thing that we can pray for each other is here in Ephesians 3. And one of those is that we all would understand the place we are to be rooted. The reason we're tossed to and fro, the reason that we live anemic lives, I'm just telling you what I believe the Bible says. The reason we are, are consumed by all the things that I could list, anxiety and frustration and anger and burst of wrath and all those things, is because we aren't firmly placing the taproot of our lives in the soil of God's love. It's because we're grounded on something else. When I... Here's a secret for, for 
and anybody married for any time will know this. For Kim to put her trust and build her life on me, not her trust, but for Kim to build her, her, her life on me, on, on this foundation, it's sand. I'm going to fail her. I have failed her. When winds come and, and, and things happen, I can't be counted on completely. But when Kim placed her life on the foundation of Christ, on the bedrock of Christ, right? And the winds come and the rains come and life happens. What is she anchored into? She's anchored into Christ. He can't be moved. She can't be shaken. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Four. I'm almost done. That we be filled with the fullness of God. You would see there's a progression in this prayer. I want you to follow with me. Paul prays that the inner man may be strengthened. Now watch this. So that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith or through faith. So that they are rooted and grounded in love. So that they can have and be filled with the fullness of God. It's kind of a progression. In other words, the goal of this prayer is for God's glory to be filling and constantly filling our lives. That's what we desire, right? Being full of God and exuding the glory of God in our lives. That is the ultimate destination for all of us. Now, I'm not... Now, now, what we, what we want to do, and I've got to hurry, but what we want to do is, is we think that's for some super saint. That they're so holy and so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. That's, that's a bunch of hogwash. Why don't we, and why shouldn't we be a place that we're so full of the glory of God, it just exudes out of everything in our being. And therefore, that's why we come to the last few verses now to him who's able to do more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power that's working with this. There's more for us to unpack than I can. But do you really believe in what Paul is writing in this third chapter? Paul burst out in this doxology at the end of his prayer, and he's saying, Christ is able Christ is able. Why is he saying that? Because he was the one that had persecuted the church. He was the one that hated Christ. It was him who was doing all these terrible things. And God met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life. And, God, and Paul is saying, if Jesus could change my life, he can change all of your lives in anyone's life. And if he's able to save me, he's able to do more than you can ever think or imagine. We're living in poverty because we don't believe it. We think this is for supernatural saints, and it's not. The word here is dynamite. This power is dynamite. When's the last time we've asked God for big things in our lives? When's the last time that we've prayed Big dreams for the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about riches. I'm not talking about fast cars. I'm not talking about big homes. I'm not talking about earthly treasures. I'm talking about when is the last time we prayed that God could start a revival in this community coming from this church? Why not? Why not? He is more than able. 
Each one of us in this room has a situation that we do not believe that nothing can be done about it. We believe that it is what it is and nothing can change it. And I'm telling you this morning, God is able. It may not be the way you want it. It may not be the way I want it. But our God is able. He is able. And that's why we've been closing our service each week with this. He wants to show the glory, His glory through the church. And brothers and sisters, if I had more time, I would tell you that I think with all of my heart that He wants to show His glory in this church for the next decade and decades to come. We, we are setting right where God wants us for great and glorious things. Let's pray. Father, as we come and sing, thank you for the attention and the patience of my dear brothers. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to focus on what is going on. I pray, Lord, that we would be rooted and grounded in your love. I pray our inner man would be strengthened. I pray, Lord, that you would take residence in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would live each day with the fullness of be your glory in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would tell Satan that you are more than able to do anything so we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.